0: Alright, Matthew 21. We're now into this uh, new section, a new chapter, and uh, yet we are coming to the last week in the Lord's life, in the life of the Lord. And we are here in Matthew 21. We don't get the details of Calvary until 26 and 27, where the actual events take place. But here we are in the last few days, hours, week of his life. Uh, when we were in John, Matthew 21 and John 12 match up. And you know John has 21 chapters, but John 13 through 16, 17, like that, is all in one evening up in the upper room, if you remember. So we're here to the last six, six days of the life in Christ. And uh, there's a lot of attention gets paid on this chapter because of the so-called triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And uh, it's something that uh, everyone has a fit about. And yet, when you think about it, as we go through this, there's really nothing triumphal about it. And uh, actually the triumphal entry into Jerusalem is Revelation 19 when he comes back in his second coming. So it's, it is uh, something here that uh, as we look here, we're going to begin that final week before the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Verse 1, And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethpage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, Saying, So he's going to send these disciples into Jerusalem. And again, what begins to follow here is this issue of the triumphal entry. And they're going to go get the colt. They're going to go get the mama donkey and the baby donkey. And then they're going to come back. Verse 2, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied, and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt the foal of an ass." And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. So he goes in. They get it. A a tremendous uh, event is happening here. They are coming in. um, Actually, Zechariah 9 over there. We're going to go there in just a minute. As he comes in now and again, as Matthew is presenting the Lord in that portrait of Behold Your King. And he sends the disciples to get a little donkey, the colt. Again, not the, the mom, but the little guy. And that's going to be significant, as we're going to see here in, 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 in a little bit. And when the prophet says, Behold your king, what, how's he coming in there? Meek and sitting upon an ass. Meek and lowly. Uh, come back with me to Zechariah 9, because we're going to make reference to this here again, Zechariah 9 and verse number 9. Zechariah is right before Malachi. Uh, Monday night we had uh, to, uh, we were back in Amos and in Mat- Micah and different places, and they're like, where's that at? So we, we did a little uh, uh, Bible book learning quick. Uh, Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, a colt the foal of an ass. And that's the passage that he has here, and he's referencing and, and so forth. So when you come back into Matthew 21, where he talks here about being meek and lowly and so forth, we have already seen that in chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Look over there. Matthew 11 and verse 28. He says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and lean on, uh, I'm sorry, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And again, when we went through that, the, the issue there, uh, we, when we went through 11, chapter 11, we saw that all this invitation here by Christ is in connection with his rejection, Israel is rejecting him as their king, and he's presenting himself there then uh, because they've rejected him. Hey, my yoke is easy and my burden's light. They're doing this. And then in chapter 12, he begins to withdraw himself from the nation. But yet he's there dealing with calling out that little flock, training the little flock, getting them ready so he presents himself meek and lowly. He, he doesn't come in glory and majesty, which is honestly what, the, what Israel was looking for. They were looking for Revelation 19. They were looking for him to come back on the white charger <coughs> oh, <excuse me. coughs> and taking vengeance and winning the day and yet, Christ isn't there. It isn't at that point. He's not there yet. And rather, he, now he uh, come over to Luke 19. Rather, now he is coming in this lowly and meek status, because he has to go to Calvary and take care of uh, of the of the redemption process for the nation of Israel. Um, Luke 19. I I, I'm re- I was reading this this afternoon, and I was like, you know. We've been through Luke and John. We've seen this now. And yet, here again in Matthew, we're, here we are. Luke 19, verse 11. Notice this issue here. So Christ... Luke 19, 11, And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. Now... He's going to tell them this just prior to where we're at in Matthew 21, okay? And because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear, they thought the kingdom was going to show up immediately. So then he reaches over and he tells them this parable about the nobleman having to go and get the kingdom and return. Because there's going to be a, a, a pause here, And prior to his entry into Jerusalem, Matthew 21, he has to explain to them that the kingdom is not going to appear, that there's a delay, and why the delay is because they have rejected the king. Verse 12, he said, Therefore a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man reign over us. The delay in setting up the kingdom has to do with the fact that the citizens of that kingdom say what? We don't want him. He's not going to reign over us. So he explains that prior to Matthew 21, because he's going to go into Jerusalem, then he's going to go and die, he's going to be buried, he's going to resurrect the same. and guess what didn't come? The kingdom. Why hasn't the kingdom shown up yet? And he's like, look, guys, I have to leave, come over to John 12. I've got to leave, I've got to go get the kingdom and then return. So that parable sits there as a... As a in Luke 19. It's not in Matthew 21 because Matthew is depicting him as, behold your king. Here's your king. He's coming. Now he's going to make this grand entry into the city and you've got to understand what's going on. Uh, John chapter 12. And, and again, it's a wonderful thing here when he does this. And there's some fantastic things happening here in connection with Matthew 12:21, and with the connection of him going into the city. Uh, again, he, he's not showing, he's not going into Jerusalem to, to bring in their salvation. He's going in Zechariah 9, we just read the verse. That verse has both comings in it, okay? In, 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 go back there to Zechariah 9. Thinking about that. Their both comings are listed in that verse, Zechariah 9 9, when he says, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, thy king cometh unto thee. All right. Then he says, He's just having salvation. Now that's the second coming. Here he comes, Revelation 19. That's when your king's going to show up. When he shows up, what's he going to have? Salvation. He's just. He's right in doing what he's doing. He's going to annihilate his enemies and he's going to set up his kingdom. But then he says, riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the fall of it. That's, he's, in Revelation 19, he ain't coming back on a little donkey. He's coming back. So we're now here is in his first coming now he's going to be coming when you uh, come on over to john 12 now when he comes in that city he's coming in not as majesty glory king he's coming in now as meek and lowly he's coming in as that passover lamb notice john 12 verse number one Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany. Now that's where we're at in uh, Matthew 21. So if you think about six days before the Passover, the Passover happens on the 14th day. That's day one. Now we're going to go back to three, four, five, and six. That's chapter 12, verse 1, okay? This is Passover. Now watch, drop down to verse number 12, 12, 12. On the next day, so what day would that be? The fifth fifth day, 12, 12. By the way, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10, 9. The 14th day of the first month is Passover, okay? Now, come back with me to, uh, by the way, verse 12, on the next day much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. That's exactly where we're at in Matthew 21, okay? Now, come back with me to Exodus chapter 12. There's something very significant happening as he comes into the city. Exodus 12, verse number 3. Exodus 12, verse number 3. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the... 10th day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their father, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it accordingly to the number of the souls of every man according to, the, uh, to, to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening, and on and on you go. So what day of the month were they to take the lamb and set him aside? That tenth day. That day, Matthew 21, where he's walking, he's going to go riding in now, as the colt on, on that baby donkey, and they are to take him out, and then they are to watch him. Luke 20, 20 says that they watched him. They're going to watch him till the 14th day, and then that's when they're going to kill him, and that's where the Passover is. Now, come back to Matthew 21. That is exactly what they are supposed to do and in Matthew 21 and in Mark 11 and in Luke 19 and in John 21 when Christ enters into Jerusalem it has nothing to do with him coming as the king as as the avenger as the deliverer it has everything to do with him coming as that lowly, meek and mild the redeemer. Israel's Passover lamb, the true one. As he presents himself to the nation, they don't see him. They miss him. They stumbled over him, as Paul says in Romans 9. They completely botch it, but yet as Israel is pulling out their lamb to watch over for the Passover, here's the true lamb, and he's saying, here I am, and you know what they do? They just go right over him, and they miss him. They miss him completely. So there's, it's not just a little story here and you just keep reading. There's something very significant. He's right on time. Right on time. Okay? By the way, this is John. It's not the 12. It's not the noon hour. We'll go John. John 12, 12. Okay? So when, we, when we're thinking about this It demonstrates, again, over and over and over again, the details of what's happening here. And and really, he's showing the details of the blindness of Israel. Here's their condition. Here's the true lamb, and they're over here worried about a four-legged animal, and they completely miss him. Now, verse 6, 21-6. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded, and brought the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strewed them in the way. And the multitude that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest and that's where we get Palm Sunday because they laid the palms down that's usually the Sunday before Easter all of the religious calendar gets going and so forth and that's where it comes from okay but in reality what are we 10 days 10th of the month the 14th of the month boom okay now in our studies in Luke and in John we saw that the Passover really was not a Sabbath day, a Saturday, right? Remember? It was, we had another, we had a a high day, the 15th, and then the 16th was was Sunday morning. So this was Saturday, and this was Friday. (laughs) Remember, we did that Thursday, and so forth, and all that. So, The 14th doesn't always fall on a Saturday on the calendar. It has to do with the issue. And actually, he's killed Thursday night, but we do all that over here on the evening and so forth. And you count it out. We've done all that. We'll do it again when we get over in 26 and 27 when we're talking about it, okay? All right. Now, verse 5 causes problems with people. And they use this verse to say there's a contradiction in your Bible. Because in verse 5, he's sitting upon an ass and a colt of the foal of an ass. So they say, well, he's sitting on, is he sitting on one donkey or two donkeys? Which one is he? Because the verse sounds like that he could be sitting on two when you read it. But he isn't. And we understand that he can't be. But yet he is sitting on the colt of. Uh, uh, he's sitting on the baby, that, the foal, okay? Um, and it's an interesting thing about your Bible and the way it goes after man. Uh, come back to Job 11. When he says, when, it's an interesting thing. I did some study years ago about horses and, and so forth. You can break a horse without ever riding it, okay? Okay. But you cannot do that with a donkey. You you have to ride the donkey to break him. Okay? Now, the Lord is riding an unbroken donkey. And yet the donkey goes and does. So you see the power of the Savior. Okay? But donkeys are really well known for their stubbornness, aren't they? Uh, up at Lake Pleasant up there, we were riding one time on the motorcycles and we were on a ride and we come around the corner and there's wild donkeys in the roadway because they're up there. And you know what happened? Uh, we basically had to go around them. They were not moving. And then we went around them very gingerly because you don't know how they're going to respond. But the issue of stubbornness and the issue of rebellion. So they put Christ on a little, the little colt and off he goes. And again, got to, got to, you, got to, you have to appreciate the picture here. Job 11 and verse number 12. For vain man would be wise, though man be born like a wild ass's colt. That's not very flattering to man, is it? Man here, Adam humanity, mankind. you and I we, we, we have a problem. It's called stubbornness. We're like that colt, the asses full there okay Come over, come back with me to Exodus 13 And you know what the Lord does? He jumps up there and it's no problem and off he goes. there wasn't any problem and again that uh, Exodus 13. That shows the power, the triumph of who we're dealing with in Matthew 21, the Savior. There it is. Exodus 13, look at verse 13. And every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. Isn't that interesting? And if thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck. And all the firstborn of man among thy children shalt thou redeem. That's wild, isn't it? <laughs> you read that. Why would he connect man with the donkey? Well, there's a spiritual point here. And it's something that we don't want to overlook as we come back to Matthew 21. The ass here, just it wasn't just an ass... It was an ass, Matthew 21, verse 2, that was what? Tied up, if you remember. You're going to go in, you're going to find him, a village and straightway you shall find an ass tied. Matthew 21, 2. He's tied up. Israel, and what the picture here is Israel was bound by the law. They're tied up with the law. They are to go get and loose him, verse 3. Okay, they loose him, and he says, listen, if the, if the owner of that donkey the, says anything to you, you just tell him that the Lord needs him, all right, and it, he'll let you go. Now, you think about Israel was tied up by the law. Christ is going to come and loose them from the law in spite of the opposition of the owners, the leadership of the nation, that's the owners. So these events go on, you know, as we're going to continue on here, but there's, there, you can't miss the picture that he's presenting. The donkey, the colt, the baby, the unbroken, the stubborn, the, the wild ass. And he sits, controls it, it's tied up, he's going to loose it from the law, By the way, they were under satanic bondage as well. He's going to loose them from that, and off he goes. Now, verse 9. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. In spite of the fact that Israel, in her folly, in her rebellion, in her stubbornness, like that colt, the the baby donkey. They are going to carry Christ to the cross. You think about what that donkey's doing. What is Israel accused of doing? Putting him on the cross. He's carrying him, all right? And it's only because who who was riding the donkey? Christ. Remember in the garden when they come and get him, and he says, who are you looking for? And he lets them take him. He doesn't sit back and say, no, you can't have me. He's in complete control. He's riding that stubborn little donkey, a beautiful picture of the nation in their rebellion, in their stubbornness, in their folly. And yet what does he do? He he gets that donkey to take him all the way to Calvary. And that's where he's happening. Okay. Verse 9. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That's going to be a quote out of Psalms 118. We're going to go over there in just a minute. And see that the disciples are proclaiming him here. Hosanna to the son of save us now. (laughs) Bring in that, you know, bring it in now. Let's get this on now. Then he says, "And, and when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? And the multitudes said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. One last time, Christ forces the nation, the city, to consider his claims of who he is. As he's doing what? Coming in. He's coming in to be their their lamb for the Passover. Verse 12. And Jesus went into the... Temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. Now, come back over to Malachi 3, just a couple, just back a book, and notice this issue here in Malachi 3, verse 1. And notice this issue about the temple of God. Now, this is the second cleansing of the temple. He already had one, here's the second one. He's had one coming, here's the second coming. There's going to be a tremendous amount of picture now in Matthew 21 of his second coming and what he's going to be doing in his second coming. Malachi 3, notice verse 1, behold I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. There, when Christ comes to the temple of God, Matthew tw- 21 says, when he showed up, what did he say? Well, go back to Matthew 21. <laughs> Matthew 21, verse 13. And he said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. The messenger of the Lord comes to the temple. Again, second coming uh, stuff here. And when he does, one of the functions that he's going to perform is going to clean out that temple. And that quote, again, that thing in Zechariah 9, back up there in verse 5. He's going to come up there, and what's he going to do? Clean them up. And when he does, he's cleaning out that and he says, hey, this house is a house of prayer. You guys have made it a den of thieves and I'm going to clean you out. And again, that picture, that, that issue there of the nation of Israel. Now, what happens in this is people say, the Lord's just quick, to, quick on the trigger here and being upset with them. But the problem isn't Christ. The problem is Israel. What have they done to the temple of God? They've taken it from its rightful worship center and made it into something else. Okay? So when this, back in Matthew 21, I hope, when this happens here, again, this is the second, he's cleansed that temple once before. It's in John 2. He goes in, cleans them out. And at the beginning of his ministry, this is at the end of his ministry. He's going to come in and he's going to, he he has, he's going to, he's taking all of that religious leaders, the guys cheating and conniving and, and making merchandise out of the worship of, of God, of Jehovah. He comes in and he says, you guys are just a bunch of phony and you're a den of thieves and out you go. Come back over to Isaiah 56. You see this in Isaiah 56. And again, he says this house should be a house of prayer, and you guys have made it into something that it's not supposed to be. Now, the house of prayer issue, Isaiah 56 and verse 7, is where this comes from, and uh, where he says it is to be a house of prayer And it's to be a house of prayer for all nations, actually. Isaiah 56, 7. Even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for who? How many people? All people. Not many. Not restricted. But now it's for everybody. And again, what has Israel failed to do? Just that. They have failed to do their job. They've made the temple not a welcoming home for everybody. Again, Israel was that channel of blessings to the families of the earth, Genesis 12. They They've failed at that. They've made it a house of thieves, a den of thieves. They've turned it into all this. Go back to Matthew 21. All this stuff that wasn't there, the Lord comes in, cleans it out. Verse 14, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Where is he? He's in the temple, and what does he do? He heals them. Just what the kingdom is going to be all about. Now, Psalms 118 is critical in this, because this is where uh, this is all a reference Two, Psalms 118 and verse 26. He's demonstrating once again what he's going to do when he, came, when he comes to the temple. And again, it's a Psalms 118, it's a second coming passage. It's going to be, he's, going to be, he's performing a second coming function. And he's fulfilling prophecy. And this would have worked out the fulfilled prophecy had the nation been receptive. Psalms 118, verse 26. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. There's the entry. That's when they say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That was back up in verse 9 of Matthew 21. We have blessed you. Where did they bless him? out of the house of the Lord. So he comes, verse 27, and, and he, so he comes in, and Matthew says, there he is, he's the one. Matthew shows him going right to the temple. He heals them, he blesses them, and out of the house of the Lord, notice verse 27, God is the Lord, Psalms 118, 27, God is the Lord, which hath showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even under the horns of the altar. Bind the sacrifice. He, you know what he's, gonna, what he's doing there is there? By the way, bind the cords and the sacrifice. Where's he going? Calvary. And what happens is, come back to Matthew 21 here, People say, well, what would have, what they, you know, the thing that always comes up in conversation is what had is, what would have happened to the issue of Calvary had Israel believed that he was the Messiah? What does Psalms 118 say and what does Matthew 21 say? They would have still bound the sacrifice and put him on the altar. They would have taken him just like Abraham did in Genesis 22 with Isaac and put, took him up the mountain. He looks at the guys and says, look, we've been three days, we're out here, the lad and I are going to go, and then we're going to come back. And you know what had happened? The Lord, they would have bound the Lord and they would have put him on the cross and he would have died. He would have been sacrificed by the nation. That offering would have been made and he would have willingly done it because what did Psalms 118 Matthew 21, where we're at, say it's got to happen. they got to bind the cords of the sacrifice even under the horns of the altar. And again, that wonderful picture in Genesis 22 is more than just about Calvary. It shows that the issue is that they were going to take him, regardless of whether the nation trusted Christ or not, he still had to die. He was still the Passover sacrifice. Okay? And that's what we're seeing here. He would have willingly been sacrificed. Now, God knew that they weren't going to do that, (laughs) you know. But God had made the provision, and in the context right here, because of the wicked, stubborn, rebellious unbelief of that nation, it was done in a very much different manner and a very different reason for killing him, and off they go. So when someone says, well, if they had believed, then he wouldn't have had to die. No, he would have had to die still. It would have just been a completely different sacrifice than what we saw. And that, again, is what we're learning here in Matthew 21. Verse 14, with Psalms 118, 26. Very critical to catch that here as we go down through. All right, what did he do, by the way, in verse 14? He healed them. He demonstrated who he was and what he was going to do as the Psalms said he would. He healed them. Now watch verse 15. And when the chief priest and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, did. They patted him on the back and they gave him a great hurrah. No? What were they? They were sore displeased. Now, when they say see him getting the glory and being praised out there in the temple, they get mad, <laughs> is what they do. And they're upset. They don't appreciate it. They don't like it. They're offended. And so he's going to pen the problem on them, verse 16, and said unto him, Hearest thou what they say? And Jesus said unto them, Yea, have ye never read? He keeps the word of God right in front of them at every turn. He's constantly keeping, he's he's constantly firing verses at them. Over and over and over and over again. And he says, Have you never read, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise. That's wonderful. That's the little children thing. You know what he says? Guys, didn't you read over there in Psalms where God says that he's going to reveal the doctrinal truth to those that come to him like that, like a little child? And the babes and the sucklings. Didn't you read over there? Didn't you know how he's going to use those that just simply believe what he tells them? They can't answer. So what do they do? And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany and he lodged there. Now, what he's, he's going to do here is he's, again, demonstrating his rejection of the leaders of Israel this time and of Jerusalem. And I'll remind you, when we were in John, he goes in, works the day in the temple, then he leaves and spends the night outside of the city. You remember that? We went through that. He, he, goes, he, he, he doesn't stay in Jerusalem All right, overnight, he goes out of the city every night, comes back in the day, out at the night, until we get to here. And then when we get over there, now he goes into that upper room, spends the day with them, and then he goes into the night, he goes to who? Pilate and the judgment hall. And then the next morning, he goes to the cross. He rejects the city. He rejects the elders. And that's really what's going to focus now on the rest of the chapter, is how he is going to curse the fig tree. He, he's going to, by the way, he's going to give them a parable and a whole course of events here that's summed up really in verse 43. Matthew 21, 43. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you, those religious leaders, and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. He rejects them. He rejects the city. And now he's going to take the kingdom, that authority, from them. He's going to give it to the little flock. That's why he says, Fear not, little flock, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So from this, from verse 18 on down now, he is demonstrating his rejection of the city and of the leaders and of the whole mess. And now he's going to turn and give all that authority to the little flock now, the 12 apostles and so on. Verse 18, now in the morning, as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way... He came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Now, that's, a, that's very fascinating. Because when you come to a fig tree... And it's full of leaves. What should be underneath the leaves? The fruit. But there is no fruit. There was, this is when he, and so he curses the fig tree. And the illustration here in the curse of the fig tree is what's gonna happen spiritually with the nation of Israel now. He comes into the city, he comes to Jerusalem. He comes to Israel. He's coming to where everything should be. He's coming to where the table should be plentiful. He's hungry. He's Christ has been looking for fruit in Israel since day 1. And what happens? He finds nothing. Come over to chapter 23 of Matthew. 2337. 2337. Old Jerusalem Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. And that's their story. Luke 19 over there, he, he he says as he descends, he looks down over that city, and he weeps. He wept. And he said, old Jerusalem, if you would have just known what was going on, but you didn't. He's hungry. His heart is craving for the fruit. John the Baptist, Matthew 3. What does he tell those religious leaders? Bring forth, therefore, fruits. Meat for repentance. Where's the fruit, guys? He comes hungry. He's looking for fruit in Israel, and he doesn't find any. He comes to that fig tree, and it didn't have any fruit on it. It had leaves. But, and, when, there, when the, again, when the fig tree's got leaves on it, it's time to eat. Israel has all the dressing. They have all the law. They have all the ordinances. They have all the statutes. They have all the judgments. They have the religious leader and all of their regalia. They have everything that makes them look like you could come there and find some fruit. He comes and he says, nothing. You're an empty vine. Again, that fig tree. Judges 9, the four trees of Israel. Israel. They relate to the there the vine tree in the national life. Uh, they, it, uh, the 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 vine tree represents the life of the nation. The olive tree is a type of the Holy Spirit. Represents the spiritual life of the nation. The fig tree shows up. Adam and Eve, first time Genesis three, they make out themselves that operation fig leaf. <laughs> it it represents the issue of the, of, of the religion of Israel. And Adam and Eve were trying to cover up. They were trying to do something. And uh, by the way, if you go over to Jeremiah 24, you read all about a bunch of figs. And uh, you, you, a bucket of good figs and some bad figs. It's very interesting. So the fig tree here, what's happening with their religion? They got it all. They got every Look good, sound good, taste good, smell good, but empty vines. Nothing there. Verse 19, when he saw the fig tree in the way, he came to it. And he says, let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. You're done. You are through. Under the old covenant, Israel could never perform. And the group in Israel that was leading them, you know what he says? You're out. That's verse 43. You're done. I'm taking the kingdom from you, and I'm going to give it to that little flock over there. The end of verse 43, bringeth forth fruits thereof. So the cursing of the fig tree is an illustration of what was going on in Israel, not not only just nationally... But but religiously, they were losing it. Verse 20, and when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Boy, that thing went up in a hurry, didn't it? (laughs) It just gone. Kind of like my tomato plants. As soon as it hit hot, it was done, you know. They marveled at the change. Now, watch verse 21. Jesus answered and said unto them. Now, he's going to do something here that, I think a lot of people miss. He's going to turn to those disciples and he's going to say, Verily I say unto you, if ye have, what? Faith and doubt not. Ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done, and all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall Now, those two verses get really jumbled around, okay? And I think people miss the very beginning. Verily I say unto you, if ye have faith. Now, this has nothing to do with us today, okay? But what was what is needed in the nation of Israel? Faith. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The thing that they needed and, and the reason that Israel failed to recognize her Messiah was a lack of faith. It's Romans 9. You can go over there, Romans 9, verse 30 to 33. And it says, hey, the Gentiles get righteousness. Israel didn't. Why? Because they followed after righteousness They didn't, why? Because they sought it not by faith. That's the part of the verse I was trying to catch. You see, Israel, and by the way, Paul is the one saying that. That's Romans 9. But the Lord is saying it right here, too. He's saying, listen, guys, the problem was that they couldn't, they thought they could walk there by their own righteousness, their own efforts, and he says to them right here, if you have faith... You could have did this, but you don't. So guess what, little flock? It's all on you now. And little flock, that's who he's talking to in verse 21. You have faith and you don't doubt. The issue is faith. That little flock had to believe. And if you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do this, which was done to the fig tree... In other words, you're not only going to see them pass away, that's what that nation's doing, but if you say to this mountain, now we got us another, now the next issue. Again, when I hear people talk about Matthew 21, 21, I never hear them talk about the faith thing. They go right to the mountain thing. So then the thing now is is the mountain. And if you say to that mountain, be removed and cast into sea, what's going to happen? it'll be done, right? So the question then is, is what is the mountain? And if you think about the issue here of the mountain, come back to chapter 17. Chapter 17. In chapter 17, in verse 20, the Lord's going to come down off that mountain of Transfiguration. His, his disciples are down at the bottom of the hill there trying to cast a devil out of a kid, if you remember, and they can't do it. Verse uh, Matthew 17 uh, verse 18. and Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him and the child was cured. From that very hour, then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your, isn't that interesting, unbelief. For I verily I say unto you, If ye have have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, Ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible. They weren't believing, were they? (laughs) They were in unbelief. Matthew 21, guess what? They're in unbelief. By the way, in Matthew 17 there, verse 21, Howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Same issue over here in Matthew 21. So the question then gets to be, all right, what is the mountain? And it is not a physical hill. In the prophetic scriptures, a mountain is a type of a kingdom. Again, over and over, the mountain, a mountain t- is a picture. It's a type of a kingdom in prophecy. And these men had just come up against a conflict. And what they're learning here, and what they're learning that they're going to be dealing with, is dealing with that conflict against the kingdom of Satan and the satanic kingdom that's going to come up against them. And, and again, in Matthew 17, they're, they're, they've come up against the devil. They can't get rid of him. There's a conflict because of unbelief. The Lord, again, repeats it to them, says, if you, would, if you have faith and don't doubt, guess what you're going to be able to deal with? That satanic a kingdom. And when that happens, then my kingdom, the kingdom I'm leaving you guys in charge of, will overcome his kingdom to follow that so in 21 here when he says hey if you shall say unto this mountain he's not talking about superstition mountains he's talking about that kingdom of satan that's come up against the nation of israel and and again the mountain is a representation of the satanic policy of evil against what God's doing in Israel. So when you come back to Matthew 21, verse 22, And all things whatsoever ye ask, you shall ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. Again, notice that word, believing. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Come over to 1 John, chapter 5. Now, this is not just a prayer where you sit down and dream up of stuff to ask the Lord and, you know, try to figure out what what He wants to hear. 1 John 5, verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to what? His will. Isn't that interesting? He does what? He heareth us. And if we know that he heareth us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we desired of him. That's an unconditional thing there. When you ask believing, when you ask according to his will, well, chapter 2 of 1 John, he just got done telling them, verse 20 220. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. But the anointing which ye, I'm sorry, verse 27. I dropped down didn't tell you. Verse 27. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. When he says there an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things, and there's an anointing. He's talking about the new covenant. He's talking about the Holy Spirit's come in, the new covenant issues are in play, where he writes in their hearts his law, and their inward parts, and he causes them to walk. That's how they know to ask anything according to his will. You see, we're now, when come back to Matthew 21, we're going to stop in verse 22, because that's a good place to break, because... He's going to go after the the leadership here. But what what you have here is, in all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive, these guys are going to be functioning in a new covenant capacity, having the law written and knowing what his will is. But again, it's all by faith. That's the part of that new covenant blessing that's given to that nation right then and there. And again, when you think about what's going on here, the bottom line is faith. The issue of believing what God said and what God's doing and functioning and operating accordingly. So Matthew 21 is a critical little linchpin here because he's now leaving, he's left the nation And now he's teaching those little flock guys, the the little flock, the 12 apostles, the disciples there. And he's like, here's what's going to happen. I came, the fig tree was in all bloom, should have had fruit hanging, but it was empty. He's hungry. There's nothing here. The form is there, the look is there, but there's nothing there. So he cursed it. He said, You're done. And then he turns over and he says, fear not, little flock, I'm going to give you the kingdom. And you're going to go and bring the fruit thereof. You're, you're the guys. So he's shifting, but he's reminding them that the issue of all of this is going to be by faith. Okay? All right. dear Holy Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for the study. We thank you for the look here into this passage. and We'll give you the praise and the honor for it. In your name we pray. Amen.